Well, thank you very much, Joe. <clears throat> I appreciate that introduction. And uh, it's a real joy for me to be back here with you again. Uh, this is my second time, so I, I no longer feel like I'm a visitor. I'm, I'm, I'm one of you now, so. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> let me just say a quick word about what's going on uh, in our community and around the world. Um, I know there are a lot of people who are afraid right now, and uh, we have the message of peace. Don't be afraid to engage people about this coronavirus fear that is going on. If you know where you're going, then you have peace. You understand that your birth date and your death date are all on God's calendar, and it's going to happen exactly the way He plans it. Now, that doesn't mean that you should be frivolous about your person. I mean, do what they ask you to do. Wash your hands, you know, go out of your way to uh, not be part of the problem, but part of the solution. But always be ready to give a good message, a message of peace. There are people I come in contact with regularly now who are very, very afraid. And uh, <clears throat> it's basically because they don't know where they're going. This world is all they have. And for us, we're just passing through. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through, as the old Christian song goes. So keep that in mind and always be ready to give an answer to anybody who asks you of the hope that you have within you and why you could be smiling at a time like this because you have the Lord Jesus in your heart. <clears throat> the Bible says today is a day that we give the Lord praise. He has set this day aside and the church has celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years. And so we, we come together to celebrate as well. Now, as we approach the Word of God, we do it with great anticipation. Not because I come with anything special to say to you. I'm just, you know, a spokesman for the Lord and His Word. But the power is in the Word itself. Um, perhaps you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus as they were walking with Jesus, though they didn't know it was the Lord Jesus at that time until a little later in the day. But they, re they thought back on the time and they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? They didn't know it was Jesus, and it was the scriptures that were burning inside of them. So as we come to this wonderful book that God has left us, uh, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, Peter says. Let's remember that it changes us from the inside. And if we anticipate that the Lord is going to speak to us through his word, then he will. He loves to do that. So <clears throat> what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the passage that we're going to be talking about today. And if you have a Bible, you might want to follow along with me or an electronic device. I have to add that now. Didn't have to do that years ago. Um, you might want to follow along in the passage. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 35. So we'll kind of get the overview, the feel of the passage together as I read the whole paragraph 
then we'll pray and ask for God's help to understand it, and then we'll come back and look at it a verse at a time. Luke 18, 35 through 43, thus says the word of the Lord. And it came about that as he approached Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. And he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he had come near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. All the people saw it. They gave praise to God. Amen. Would you join me in opening prayer, please? Father, what a privilege it is for us to be here today. I want to thank you for all these brave souls who have come here today. And I pray that you would pour out upon them a special blessing from heaven because they have gone against some of the wave of our culture right now to come and to worship you. And so, Father, pour out from heaven upon all of us a great blessing from you. And now, Father, we would pray that you would open to us your beautiful word, the inspired word of God, accurate, powerful, and that we might gain insight from it, that we can be better followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his wonderful name. Amen. I'd like to begin by asking you a question as you read through the New Testament, especially the Gospels. Why did people respond to Jesus so much better than they responded to other spiritual leaders? Why was it that Jesus had such a powerful individual as well as a group impact? What did he see in people that maybe we miss? And certainly the world misses. Why did he take time at Jacob's well with an immoral woman? What did he see in her that nobody else saw? She was an outcast in her city of Sychar. Jesus even had to send his disciples away because of the way that they were raised and their prejudice, because they would probably interfere with the ministry that he wanted to have to her. It would be later on before he would be able to deal with some of the ways they were raised and some of their natural prejudices towards people, especially Samaritans. What did he see in her? She became such a powerful witness that she went back to her city. <laughs> and it says that the whole city came out to see Jesus. Because he had made such an impact in her. Why would Jesus pick 
a hated tax collector to be one of his 12. What did he see in Matthew that the rest of the nation of Israel treated him like an outcast? Do you know as a tax collector he was not allowed to go to synagogue? He was not allowed to come to temple? He was not allowed to be involved in the feast days of Israel? He was an outcast. The Bible even says, when you're reading through it, you know, it says there were sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they had their own category of sin. They were so far down. I mean, they were the bottom feeders of Israel. And Jesus picks one of them to be his disciple. What did he see in Matthew that nobody else saw? Why would he take time to heal the servant of a Roman soldier? The Romans who occupied their nation, who had, who had killed millions, not millions, hundreds of thousands of Israelis and crucified them. In, in one rebellion, it says that, that they hung uh, Jews on the cross from city to city. City to city. And yet Jesus takes time to heal this Roman soldier's servant. What did he see? How could he treat them like that? Why would he cross the Sea of Galilee to cast out 6,000 demons from a man in Gerizim? Probably the worst case of demon possession ever recorded in human history. I've, I've searched high and low for a, for a more serious case. I can't find it. What did he see in him? What was it about the man? Worst case I've ever read about. What about the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile? The Jews hated the Gentiles. They hated the Samaritans. And within certain groups in Israel, they hated each other. There's a lot of hatred going on. And yet Jesus reached out, loved these people, and changed them forever. Well, I would like to offer to you this morning for your consideration that the reason Jesus treated people differently is that he saw the handprint of God on every human being. He saw what people could be, not just what they were. Think about that for a minute. At creation, the Bible says, Genesis 1.27, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created you and me in his image. Did he create trees in his image? Or the ocean? Or the mountains? No. It only says that he created man and woman in his image. You and I have the fingerprint of God Almighty on us. We, we share certain attributes, not all of them, but certain attributes with our Creator that none of the rest of creation does. And you see, that gives us value. And I see Jesus treating people with that value. 
He recognized that value in people. And, and he did everything he could to recreate that image in a stronger way towards his own father. Those characteristics make us who we are, make us different. And that's why we have to compete in the world of ideas, especially in our own country, where people don't see, they're treating each other like they are just animals. They're, they're not unique. They don't see the fingerprint of God on one another. And so, in a terrible way, they treat each other. And yet, you and I, we have the privilege to represent this value in our society. And I think we should at every given opportunity. I think that's at the heart and the basis of how Jesus treated this man that we just read about in Luke 18. So let's go back and take a look at the passage and see if we can pick up some things that are hopefully encouraging, maybe even challenging, and uh, apply them to our own lives. Verse 35 says, And it came about that as he, that is Jesus, was approaching Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, a little bit of background. Jesus lived up in the Galilee. That was his home. And uh, it was the time for the Passover, and so they would start out weeks ahead of time from the Galilee, and uh, family and friends and, uh, you know, relatives uh, would all gather together, and they would travel together for safety purposes. So here they are up in the Galilee, and they're coming down the Jordan River together, and as they move down from that area, they start picking up people who are going to go along the way up to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. And so little, you know, little hamlets and villages and small cities and people are all starting to add to it. So by the time they get to Jericho, which is the last major city that you would come to before you climbed up to Jerusalem, there are thousands of people with Jesus. Thousands have, have now accumulated together to travel to make this trip down to Jericho. Now, Herod the Great, don't you, don't you love the humility of these ancient people who named themselves? Not, not Herod the Humble, but Herod the Great. He had made Jericho into a type of Las Vegas. It was an entertainment center during his reign, and uh, he had created all kinds of um, hot spas and theater um, all kinds of various entertainments, uh, gardens that you could walk in and enjoy. It was, a, it was really a luscious, very beautiful city. It's not like that now. hasn't been for a long time. But in those days, the climate was warm, and it was dry, and it was also near the lowest part of the world, the Dead Sea. You could actually see it from Jericho if you've ever been on a um, a Bible lands tour and, and been to Jericho, you can actually see the Dead Sea. And it's not very much lower, but it's a little bit lower than Jericho. And <clears throat> all the mountains around Jericho have the silt wash during the rainy season down to the lowest area. And so it was a lush area. 
It, uh, some of the historians tell us that there were seven miles of palm dates, palm date trees. Seven miles. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. And all kinds of fruits and vegetables. They had an open market that historians would write about. You like open markets? I do. It's fun to go through those. Huge. And uh, so people would come from all over to enjoy this. Now, it says a certain blind beggar. Now, Mark and Matthew in the parallel passage tell us his name. His name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. The, pa the parallel passages both give us his name. His name in Hebrew, Bar, means son of. Every time you see a word or a name that's B-A-R, Bar, it means he's the son of somebody. And Timaeus means an honorable man. He is the son of an honorable man. Nice name. And it means valuable. Do you think Bartimaeus felt valuable? Hmm? He's a blind beggar. If people aren't merciful, if they aren't generous to him, he doesn't get anything. Now, there were so many people in Israel, in the Middle East at that time. Um, this is not frowned upon, you know. I mean, that, that was the only way that they could make a living. There was no social net to catch these people at that time. So they had to beg. And people had to be merciful to them or they, they couldn't get by. But do you think he felt, he felt valuable sitting there begging as people went by? Listen to what one historian says about the blind at this time. Quote, It was generally believed that God had cursed them. Cursed them. And that they should be pitied as one pities a lame animal. End quote. Whew. Pitied. Lame animal. So not only, not only did he not feel honorable or valuable, but he was treated like a lame animal. That's how people treated him. That was the general attitude of Jews at this time towards the handicap. Wow. It's tough. But his life is about to change. Look at 36, 37, 38. Now, hearing a multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Son of David, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there's a couple things in this passage that are fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. He inquired what was going on, because he couldn't see. But he knew there was a, <laughs> you know, a throng of people large group of people passing by him. And what did the people say to him? It's Jesus of Nazareth. But he doesn't call him that, does he? Look at your Bibles. He doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is very important. Words are important in the Bible. Take time. 
Read over it. Ask God to reveal truth to you as you're reading the Bible. And, and things will jump off the page and smack you and wake you up and, and bring about understanding as you go through the scriptures. Son of David. He calls him son of David. What does that mean? Well, I want you to see it for yourself. Go back to the book of Mark, chapter 12. <clears throat> Let's look at 35 through 37. Mark 12, 35 through 37. Here's what it says. And Jesus answering began to say, he taught them in the temple. And uh, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ, or in Hebrew, the Messiah, how is it that they say the Messiah is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. David himself calls him Lord. And so in what sense is he his son? And the great crowd uh, were interested in what he had to say. Now I love what Matthew says in the same passage. It says that they no longer asked Jesus any questions publicly. <laughs> in other words, this, the question Jesus asked of the spiritual leaders overwhelmed them to the point that they no longer publicly asked him any questions. You know, if you get humiliated four times, ten times, twenty times, finally you say to yourself, you know what, I'm not asking this guy any more questions because he dumps on me every time. And so after this statement, after this inquiry with the leaders, why is it that it's so powerful? Well, if you go back to Psalm 110.1, which is the original passage, what it says in the Hebrew is, and I'm going to read it to you in the Hebrew, not just in the English. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's what it says in the original. What we have there is an inner Trinitarian discussion. In other words, you can't understand Psalm 110.1 if you don't believe in the Trinity. God the Father, Yahweh, said to God the Son, Adonai, sit at my right hand. Do you understand? It's a powerful passage. And the Jews, the best of the scholars, didn't figure it out. Jesus understood it. Why? Because he's the author of the scriptures. And so he quotes Psalm 110.1, which every Jewish boy learned from the earliest days in their schooling, had it memorized. But you know what? You can memorize a scripture and still not understand it. Did you know that? You can memorize a scripture. I used to memorize scripture a lot of scripture. I was with the navigators in the military, and we memorized hundreds of verses. I would say I probably understood about a third of them. But you know what? They still helped me. And as I grew, and as I got older as a Christian, the Lord would open them up to me. Oh, that's what that means. I get it. And so... Jesus opens the scriptures to them by quoting this. How is it that David, a human man, king, yes, but a human man, will have a son who will be both 
his offspring and his Messiah. How is that possible? And you can almost see, you know, the, the spiritual leaders with their long beards and they're pulling at them. They have no answer. A verse they knew incredibly well but did not understand. Jesus quotes it. Now, I want to go back to our story in Luke 18. This man, Bartimaeus, understood that Jesus of Nazareth was who? It's okay, you can say something. It's not a library. He was the Messiah. He called him by his messianic title, Son of David. Predicted in the Old Testament, David would have an offspring in his lineage who in fact would be the Messiah. Isn't that incredible? This blind beggar understood that. So he doesn't call him, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. What is he? Jesus, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. He got it, church. He understood it. Now look at verse 39, back in Luke 18. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. Shut up. Why did they say that to him? Why would they treat him like that? Because that's the way they were raised. They were prejudiced towards this blind beggar. And this is a knee-jerk reaction. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's with the A group. You are an outcast. Be quiet. Don't bother the man. Ouch. This, this not only reflects on their society, but on ours. In every society, there are prejudices. And so, they react the way they were raised to react. The first class citizens are speaking out against the second class citizens. Mm. It's hard to say. It's hard to read. It's hard to know that it happens. Then and now. Shut up. Do you know what? He won't. <laughs> Don't you like his tenacity? Look at the rest of the verse. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, in this paragraph, or in this phrase, this little phrase here, you have an intense verb. There's intensity. In other words, when he hollered it the first time, it was at this level, and then they told him to be quiet. So you know what he did? He got louder. <laughs> he, he raised his voice. And except he kept, he kept on saying it. He wouldn't be shut up. They couldn't shut him up. He got louder and he kept repeating it over and over. He called out church. He called out with great intensity. He's screaming it. He's reaching back into his soul. He's turning up the volume, and he's letting it fly. Don't you love it? 
Can't you feel it, the intensity? Look at the beginning of verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And just stop there for a minute. How many people are with Jesus? A thousand. Fifteen hundred. Two thousand. Are they making noise? Of course. They've got animals with them. They're going to the Passover. They've got sacrificial animals. They've got food and wagons and stuff that they're hauling up to Jerusalem. It's, it's chaos. But Jesus hears him. Can I just take a, a real quick side trip? I'll be right back. Um, you know, this world is loud and noisy. But when you and I call out to the Lord, He gives us His complete and undivided attention. He says, Jerry, what do you want? What do you want? Talk to me. Don't forget that in your prayer time. You have a special and unique relationship with the living God. Call on him. He wants to hear from you. And so Jesus stops and he gives value by giving the man audience. Do you see it in the passage? People are telling him to shut up, but he says, go get him and bring him over here. Oh, Oh, okay, Jesus, whatever you want. Let me ask you a question. What is it about our society, what is it that they honor? What, what is it that they, they think is valuable? Intellect? Are you smart? Then they'll value you. Got a high IQ? Do good on tests? Hmm? They'll give you value. What if you're thin and beautiful? Does our society say that you have value? Oh, yes, they do. What if you're rich? You got money and you flaunt it. Oh, valuable. So valuable. What if you have a great personality? You can make people laugh. You make people feel comfortable. You can interact with any kind of situation. You're gregarious, effervescent, you know, overflowing, valuable. What about athletic? Oh, we pay great athletes great amounts of money. Valuable. What about management skills? Oh, valuable. We'll push you up. We'll help you succeed. We'll pay you big money. You manage this. You take care of that. If you can do that, you're valuable. I could go on and on and on. But that's our world. That's our society. But it's not just ours. It's the world itself. That's what they value. But God says, all people have value. 
because all people are created in his image. We must think these things. We must combat the influence of the world that attacks us all the time. (coughs) Excuse me. We are created in his image. Look at 40 and 41. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he had come near, he questioned him. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Now there's probably an indication here that maybe he did see at one time. I want to regain my sight. So perhaps he lost his sight at some earlier period of time. Did Jesus know that he wanted to see again? So why does he ask him? What do you want me to do for you? You know, the New Testament reveals that Jesus didn't need for anyone to tell him what people thought. Because he already knew. He didn't need that people reveal that to him. (laughs) He already knew. So, did he know blind Bartimaeus wanted to see again? Of course he did. But he asked him anyway. Why? Because he wanted to hear it from him. He wanted him to articulate it. Reason? So that when he saw, and in just a few seconds, in our passage, he's going to see, when he saw, he would be grateful. He would be grateful. Those of you who are parents, do you like your children to ask you to do stuff for them? Of course you do. So why do you want them to say it? You know. You know what they need. Because you're trying to create within your children an attitude of gratitude. Thankfulness. It's a great quality. So Jesus knows that Bartimaeus, he wants to see, but he wants him to articulate it so that in just a second, he's going to give praise to God. He's going to be thankful. That's why we want to articulate our prayers to the Lord. That's why we get down on our knees and go into our closet or our quiet place. And we pour out our hearts to the Lord. Because when we get up off our knees, we know that our Heavenly Father, who loves us, has our personal prayer request. Now, He doesn't always say yes, not to me. And if He always says yes to you, could you see me after the service so I could find out what it is you're doing that I'm not? No, He doesn't always say yes. Sometimes He says no. Why? Because He's a good, heavenly Father. He knows knows that some of my prayer requests are wrong for me or for someone else. And so he says no. Sometimes he says wait. I've got, I think my oldest prayer request is 18 years old. And I still pray it. And I'm waiting. Church, do you believe sometimes the grace of God moves slowly? Yeah, but it moves. 
Don't give up on your prayer requests. Keep praying. Unless he slams the door and he absolutely says to you, like he did to Paul the Apostle, who asked the Lord three times to take away his physical infirmity, and the third time God says, you're going to have to live with it, Paul. You have it for purpose. You have it for reason. And then he stopped asking. Oh, okay, I get it. Got it. So if the Lord says no, if he closes the door, then you don't need to keep praying that prayer request. But if he doesn't answer, you keep praying. Perseverance in prayer is an important aspect of our prayer life. The Lord teaches it. Keep on asking. Don't give up. So he wants him to ask. And he does. Here's a psalm I love. If you want to copy it down and look it up later. Psalm 8110 says, quote, Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, says the Lord. <laughs> open your mouth wide. Ah, How big can you get your mouth open? And fill it. And he will fill it. So, the Lord does the filling, we do the opening. See? See the relationship? We ask... He fills. Oh, how he loves to do that for his children. 42 and 43. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Wow. You know, I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial, and maybe some of you are going to be irritated with me, but, you know, after the service, I'm going to go home, and Joe will be here, so you can take it out on him. Um, I've, I've observed a lot of healing ministries in my lifetime, seen them on TV, attended some of them personally. <clears throat> I haven't seen a healing ministry that is anything like Jesus's. In many cases, the healer will say to them, you have your healing, now go home and keep praying about it. Your faith will bring about the healing. Here's the problem with that. When Jesus healed, it was always immediate. You didn't have to go home. You didn't have to go home. It was right there, right then, immediate, boom. So what happens when you go home? And the healing doesn't happen. Whose fault is it? Well, the healer would say, it's your fault. You didn't, have enough, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't ask enough. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. But none of that ever happens with Jesus. So don't get sucked into some of this stuff that goes on, you know. That happens around the world in the name of Jesus, but I don't think it is. Okay, enough on that subject. It was immediate. And then it says he began to follow him. Where was Jesus going? Where was Jesus going? He was going to Jerusalem, wasn't he? It's 15 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem in 3,000 feet pretty steep. Takes, takes a while to get up to Jerusalem. But you know who was in the crowd? Bartimaeus. 
He followed Jesus up to Jerusalem. The most important week of his life. We call it the Passion Week of Jesus. What would be the first major event? Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, when Jesus came down on a donkey, you know, and he was on the Mount of Olives, and he came down that road, and he, he started to go toward Jerusalem. And when the people saw him, what'd they do? They came and they brought palms, palm branches. And they waved them, and they put them down as a patch. And they took off their outer garments, and they threw them on the ground. And they made this beautiful road from, from the, the side of the Mount of Olives going down into the valley called Kidron, up to the king's gate. Now, this is the first time that we have indicated in the scriptures that Jesus enters Jerusalem through the king's gate. He never went through that gate. No. He would go through the sheep's gate. He would go through other gates. But he would never go through the king's gate, not until Palm Sunday, when he rode into Jerusalem as the king of Israel. Do you think Bartimaeus was there? Do you think Bartimaeus had an outer garment that he threw on the road because now he could see? Do you think he raised up a palm branch? Do you think he sang Hosanna? What a day. Do you think Bartimaeus was there on Friday morning when Jesus was made to carry his cross through the city of Jerusalem. And the Roman soldiers took him up to Calvary and nailed his hands and feet in the cross that he carried, raised him up. Do you think Bartimaeus was there when he saw Jesus bleed? And he asked his father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Do you think Bartimaeus was there when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning? Hmm. I don't know because the scriptures don't tell us. He disappears from the scriptural chronicle here in this passage. All we know is that he followed Jesus from here. But I'll tell you something. When I get to heaven, I'm going to look Bartimaeus up. And I'm going to find out. Did you stay in Jerusalem? Did you worship Jesus on the Mount of Olives into the city? Were, were you there during the week when he was teaching in the temple? Were you there when he carried his cross after the beatings by the soldiers, bleeding, having that thorny crown on his head and blood coming down from the thorns? the beatings on his back from the scourging, carrying his cross. Were you there? Did you see it? Were you there when they nailed his hands and his feet, raised him up? The Bible says if the Son of Man be raised up, he will draw him into himself. There he was, hanging between heaven and earth. Were you there when he rose from the dead and met with his, his special followers? Were you there, Bartimaeus? Did you go back to, Jer to Jericho, your home city? Did you become part of a fervent church? Did you have a witness? Did you reach out to people? Did you tell them your story? 
How interesting. Every single believer has an interesting story to tell. You have one. I have one. Lord, give us opportunity to be able to say these things to people. I'll give you an application and then I'm done. Do you see all people as valuable? Or have you started to slip into the world's attitude towards giving special favor, special advantage, special value to certain people? Or do you see them all as God's handiwork? That's sort of our message this morning. And as I close in prayer, that's what I'm going to ask for myself to begin with. And I'm going to ask it for you as well. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the joy of opening the Word of God and to see our Savior treating a man who has been an outcast from his culture, giving him value. May we learn the lesson of this passage. May you start with me, Lord. May I be more kind. May I be more forgiving. May I be more accepting and see people the way that you saw them, Lord Jesus, as having the fingerprint of God on them. And may you do that for each of us who are here today, Lord. Help us to see more value in people than we see right now. And if you'll do that, we will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.